First off, you looking like you in tremendous shape, man. How many minutes could you give the Knicks right now? I had to I had to break those minutes up. I had to break <laughs> them up into probably 90 second spurts. Uh I go I can go probably up and back and up. Then that's it. That's then I need it. a break. That's right, it. I'm that's running right to the corner, man. <laughs> the game is a lot different today. You know, it's a lot up and down, shooting, the big man's not clogging the paint. What do you think your output would be in today's NBA? You know, I had this conversation twice probably in the last couple of days, one with my son and one with one of the Knicks scouts about today's game. Uh, yeah, you know, output, I don't know. I know I shoot more threes. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't know. Like, people talk a lot about, you know, the lack of mid-range, you know, spacing. Mm -hmm. And so you got to think, when, when we played, you have the lanes were a little bit more clogged mm -hmm. and occupied. So you had two bigs kind of kind of in there and three people on the wing. So you actually had to shoot three, shoot two point shots because as soon as you drove, like you had, there was nowhere to really go. Right. Now what has happened since the three point shot, since, you know, a lot of uh, spread offense, you know, positionless, you see, you know, what Denver did and you see what, what a lot of people are doing, the floor is spread, you know, so there's more opportunities to, to shoot threes. The pace is faster. Yeah, um, yeah I, pr I probably would have shot, you know, I would say at least seven threes yeah. a game probably. You know what I mean? But then you got to look at, like, how, how much would you have been able to exploit at other parts of the game, you know? Um, and so there's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the output would be, but I definitely would have shot more threes. Um, you know, probably would have gotten – more shots, more shot attempts yeah. because the pace, you know. So I don't know how that would look at numbers, you know. Thing you got to look at is how many times we've gotten to the free throw line. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's a, that's always a big part of a a, a, a well balanced diet for scoring. You know, you got to have your easy shots, you got your free throws, and then if you're a three point shooter, then you know you just you got to be smart with them. Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, you're listening to WBH Radio. I'm your host William Holly, and we have. One of my favorite Knicks of all time, two-time All-Star, the great Allen Houston. Thank you for joining me here in studio, sir. In studio. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, this year, a lot of energy around the Knicks. Uh, what was it like in the Garden during the playoffs this year? You know, the, the city yeah. was was really excited about this team specifically. It, it was probably the probably one of the first times in a long time that that it was really anticipated and it lived up to it and it was it was all the above right mm -hmm. you know I remember in 2012 um you know, we had Melo and Jason Kidd and 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 that group um you know we we lost to uh, to Indiana um that was a unique team because we were very, we were older right. right we had a lot of vets and you start to think after that season like is this sustainable mm -hmm. you know then you go back to um the year right when 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 the pandemic kind of started to try to break out and the Hawks series and you're like okay this is uh extremely exciting but there was so much just anticipation just because people were trying to just get outside again and right. get in the building and I, I think this year when you look at the makeup of the team you know Jalen came in and provided some stability and mm -hmm. some leadership and some some dynamics to the to the offense um Everybody just kept getting better. Uh, you know, everybody improved. You know, Mitch improved. You know, you, you know, Quick improved. You know, Quentin and, and um, you know, Obi had, you know. And so you, you have to – you always have to uh, have the depth, mm -hmm. right, to – because it's a long season. Guys going to get banged up. And guys sometimes just not going to be there at night. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that stability. You have to have that depth. So I think when you looked at how that how that played out, um, people were were had a had a level of expectation right. and anticipation that allowed it to be a, for a really exciting, you know, postseason. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I listen to people and I try to have a um, a good filter. I learned that from a, from a player, but I think people are excited just about. We, we have a, a foundation, yes. you know, to build on. Um, guys are young. Uh, 
you know, but I feel like there's a maturity, there's a there's a character and a depth to the to the personalities on the team. Right. Everybody likes to compete. That's yeah. a great point because sometimes yeah. you have the youth, but you don't have the maturity yeah. and the stability. And with Jalen Brunson specifically, mm-hmm. I know you're working in the front office, making these decisions. When the Knicks signed him, like, ah, that's a cool player. Yeah. He was it's great. <laughs> like yeah. even with the playoff series, Eric Spolster, the coach for the Heat, was like, yo, how is this guy not all NBA? How surprised were you about what he was able to do this year with the ball handling, the secure handle, and the scoring at times? You know, you always see someone's capability. You see what they've done in certain situations. Mm-hmm. But until they get in this situation, yeah. you just don't know. And so I, I'm not going to say I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pleased that, yeah. hey, because, you know, we we saw Jalen grow up, yeah. you know. I, when when Rick, his father, was on our team, we would see him, like on the court after games, like yeah. imagining being in that moment. That's what I got. How the joy old was out he then? Oh, he's six, seven years old, <laughs> you know. And and it was just like, you see this kid. This is not just a normal like I'm just having fun. Like you could tell he was really imagining himself in these yeah. moments. And so when he, when he first signed, that's all I could think about, yeah. seeing little Jalen. He used to he used to mimic, you know, Spree's move. He used to mimic my move. He used to pick a certain move from LJ. He used to and and he didn't have a ball in his hand. You wow. know, and he used to be out there just going through it. And um then you know, knowing Rick, you knew that he was gonna have a good mentality. Um, you know, and his mom, Sandra, they like they're just a, they're just good people. So when you know that they have that foundation that it's it's never gonna be too much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think that's that's important when you look at, you know, where a kid has come from and, and what they've been through and he's always been that kid that's had to prove something. Yeah. You know, when you have that mentality, then that that don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. This team had a lot of people reminiscing about ninety nine. Mm-hmm. And I, I was definitely one of them. Um in ninety nine I was fourteen. I enjoyed that run you guys had. Uh, AFC going all the way to the finals, first time ever, I believe. A lot of things went on that year. Trades, injuries, a big shot by you, big shot by uh, LJ. For you, what's your earliest memory of the 99 season? Where does that season begin for you? Because I also, I didn't remember. It was a lockout year. Yeah, that well, that's where I go back to. I mean, I go back to even, to me, having surgery on my knee that summer before. Wow. And wondering, like, am I going to be full strength even going into the season? Mm -hmm. So when the season got pushed back because of the work stoppage, you know, we didn't start until January. Mm -hmm. So part of me was like, I get a little bit more time to to get my legs under me. Uh, Even though I don't know, you're never never fully 100% Mm -hmm. when you have a knee surgery like that and come right into the season, right? I ne- it never dawned on me that I might have to start the season late, you know? So I was always in the mindset of whatever you gotta do. So to me, that's where it started. So now we go into January, we're doing these workouts, cause you know, you can't work out in your own team facility. So you have to hold, we, ha- we had workouts at Manhattan College, down to <laughs> Basketball City, and we were just running our own workouts. The players were organizing it. Yeah. yeah. And we had some trainers that were there kind of helping. Mm-hmm. But that part was, you know, getting in shape, getting ready. Because you knew it was going to be a season. It was going to be a grueling season. We yeah. had three games where we had to play three games in a row. Like, people talk about the back-to-backs. Yeah. What about back-to-back-to-back? Yeah. Three times. So, it's, it's a mental fight mm-hmm. pretty much that whole season. But Spree came in. Spree right? came and in. We, and we – Right off the top, we were like, okay, we'll have to figure out how to make this work. But you know you got a dog with you. You know you have, um, you know, we have Marcus Camby. And we knew that the lineup w- was shifting, but we also knew that we had enough. So it's just going to be a matter of how we were going to manage to defend the way we defended, right, before when we had different players and then play with a little bit more speed. And that was our adjustment. Uh, we had to win six out of eight games just to make the playoffs, just to get in. Mm-hmm. So for us, that energy and synergy and, and 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 pressure 
to win those six games to make the playoffs out of eight games gave us like when the playoffs started we were like all right yeah you know we, we we're good like yeah, been we, in don't, the we don't for the last week we don't so. feel like an a seed yeah. anyway um and it was so much fun like that was our third time playing the heat yeah. and it was just it was just you know I, I look back at it now and and I appreciate it but like being in it it was man it was it was special man it really was I bet I bet a few things before Spree gets traded he got traded for John Starks yeah like yeah. you were a little bit broken up about Starks moving on well he was he was he would have a big impact on me, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he was a guy that when I came in, people were expecting us to, you know, go at it, fight for a position and kind of be it at odds. Mm -hmm. We had, had battles before when I was in Detroit. And he was the first guy that really, like, he showed, right away he showed the culture and leadership and the winning mindset of a Nick. Wow. Because he came in before we even played or practiced or worked out together. He was like, man, you're going to be a great Nick, and I'm going to help you do that. Like, it that that to me still, like, hearing that is impactful. Because how many people, you know, want to carve out their territory in life, you know, in, in, their, in, in whatever they're doing, and have a hard time understanding the bigger picture? Like, we're all trying to win. I'm still going to compete, but my role might change. I actually came off the bench um, in the fourth quarters, you know, um, a lot of the first half of that season because Jeff trusted John. Mm -hmm. I started, but in late in those games, you know, so I had to make that adjustment myself to look in the mirror and say, well, look, how can I earn enough trust to do what I need to do to play in the most important part of the game? Right. So I had to learn how to do some things defensively and just make the adjustment. So then we ended up playing together, right? So um, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's phenomenal. You signed as a free agent. John Starks is a fan favorite. It, it could have been a problem there. And day one, he welcomes you in the fold. Welcomes me in the fold, and then because I think what happened is he knew that he knew that we were going to end up playing together, and mm -hmm. we needed each other. He knew that I needed him because he knew what the battles he had played against were playing against Michael and Reggie <laughs> and, and Mitch Richmond and all these guys. And he knew I hadn't faced that in Detroit yet. Right. So he's like, I'm, I'm going to help you. But he also knew that, that he needed me to, to be yeah. there. So, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, he welcomed me. And then, yeah, so when that, when that move came, um, you know, you know, the business, it's the yeah. business. And, uh, Again, now I got to figure out how to, in a, in the same in a, in the same way, do the same thing for Spree. Yeah, you know. So I had to come in and say, like, hey, we gonna make this work because it's gonna be hard to guard both of us. Yeah, you two specifically, you and Spreewell, made me a Knicks fan because, again, '99, I was 14. That's the first time in my 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 Nick fandom that. We had strong, athletic, kind of like dynamic guards. Starks was the fan favorite, tough, you know, a scrapper. But you guys, the physicality, you know, you with the shooting. What was that dynamic like between you and Spree from a basketball perspective? What worked? What were the challenges of you and Spree playing together? Well, I think it started off with our, just our competitiveness mm -hmm. together. And in practice, we would go at it. Yeah. I mean, we would go at it in practice, and and we loved it, and and it was intentional, yeah. and it was intentional not only by Jeff, but we know we need we knew we needed it because we knew if we battled in practice, then when we get in the game, it's like there's this bond, and and so what happened is we would just let the game play out. At certain times, you knew there were certain certain matchups that we were gonna try to you know, go at. Um, and and so I think the only thing that we had to figure out is when he gets going, I got to find a way to stay engaged and stay involved just in case now it, it, I get an opportunity. So he was probably better at that because he was such a slasher and he could find a way. I had to kind of figure out, you know, a little bit more like, all right, 
I want to get I want him to get off, but I also know I don't want to like you know get uh, lose a rhythm myself. So um, we learn to play off of that, mm-hmm. right? Hey, hey, go run this, run this, you know. So so uh, you know so we it wasn't like taking turns, but it was almost like playing the game within the game, mm-hmm. and I think we just we enjoyed that because we just knew it was just really, really hard to, to deal with both of us. Yeah. It, that 99 season, a lot of questions. Will he start? Will he come off the bench? I think he was starting for a while. Then he, he went down mm-hmm. for a few weeks, and the Knicks decided to bring him off the, the bench when he came back. Yeah, and then he, then he came back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and got back in the lineup. But, like, even those little things, you know, it's all adjustments, right? right? So there's like this balance of doing what you know you can do no matter what, no mm-hmm. matter who's playing, but also understanding there's going to be different. It's like a chess game, right? right? You know, you know this piece can do this every game, but then it's when to do it and how to do it according to your opponent. Mm-hmm. And um, that was that was the beauty of, you know, it's the beauty of basketball, right? Yeah. And it's the beauty of, of of a season like that. At the end of the day, it's about preparation. And um, I was fortunate to play, you know, for Jeff and his staff. You know, Mike Malone, who's in Denver, you know. The head coach was, of Denver? He was, he was my assistant for a year. Thibodeau was my assistant. Um, Steve Clifford, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been very fortunate. You know, Don Chaney was my first, you know, coach in, in Detroit. And, you know, he was a Hall of, you know, was Hall of Fame, you know, Hall of Famer. Um, you know, I got to watch and study under Lenny Wilkins and mm-hmm. and Larry Brown. Um, so I've always enjoyed, like, the coaching process. Right. You know, I see you got the, le- the 11 rings up here. You got John Wooden up here, you know, and Bill Russell was a player coach. And uh, – I don't know. I think just because my father was was my coach, um, I always kind of have, you know, had this sensitivity to what the coach has to do to prepare, but also be of the personality that you really want to play for and trust. Yeah, yeah. With ninety nine, um, the Knicks had the highest payroll in the league at that time, and there was pressures. You know, it was actually conversation about perhaps Jeff was going to be removed. Mm-hmm. How much do you guys as players feel that pressure from the media? Is it a real thing or the media makes that up and you guys in the locker room are cool? Like, is it real or perceived that that pressure from the outside that everybody speaks of? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you, you're aware of it, mm-hmm. right? And it's like, it's like smoke, right? You, you, you're aware of it and you might even <laughs> feel it, right, a little bit, but you don't let it really get in your yeah. way. You don't let it distract you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the game, right? Mm-hmm. That's the mental game. That's the social part of the game. And um, that's that's where your character and your maturity, as we said, has to kick in, mm-hmm. you know, because everything is perspective, right? It's how you perceive. It's not just everything that's happening, but how you perceive what's happening mm-hmm. and how that impacts what you actually do, how you do it. So when you see pressure and, you know, this idea that we didn't have social media back then, right. but New York was the biggest media market, so it felt similar mm-hmm. because anything you did or said was going to be just, blown, you know, it was going to be blown out of proportion. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you, you, I think Jeff and, and, and we try to do a good job of saying, hey, let's keep it in here. Yeah, we, we're, we're in here and everything else is out there. And that's kind of one of the ways we just we kind of kept everything in house, and um, that was our mentality. You played at the University of Tennessee, finished your career at that time, all-time leading scorer, eighty-nine to ninety-three. Yeah, I don't think that's gonna get cracked because these guys are gonna leave early. They're yeah. gonna leave too early. That's your record. <laughs> it's Allen Houston's record. Uh, I had no idea that the head coach was your father, Wade yeah. Houston. What was that like, Mr. Allen Houston, playing big time college basketball for your father? Well, it all started, you know, when I from from the as young as I can remember, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I learned to walk on a basketball court. Basketball <laughs> was like 
it was in our family, it was in our blood. You know, my my grandfather on my mother's side is one of the probably one of the could go down as the winningest or the best high school coach in Kentucky high school basketball history. Wow. Right before integration, um, you won four or five Negro championships, football, basketball. Then you know my father ends up uh, getting the head coach. Well, he became one of the first black assistant coaches. He became the first class of black scholarship basketball players at Louisville in 1962. It was when that first class. Yeah. So Louisville and being a pioneer and in the heritage of, you know, what he's done way before I even thought about playing in the NBA is there. So then my my, you know, um you know, he went to four final fours as an assistant coach at Louisville. Uh they won two national championships mm-hmm. when he was assistant coach. So by the time I was a senior in high school I knew I was going to Louisville. He was a, like people would people would recruit me and call in the house. Like you could tell it in their voice. Like I'm just got to make this call, man. Yeah. And I know you know. I know you're gonna go play, out of play respect, your dad. Yeah. Out of respect, I did. All right. So that conversation, those conversations were like 30 seconds. Wow. Signed with Louisville in November. No transfer portal, none of that. Yeah. He gets a job in that following April, and becomes the first. Black coach in SEC history. Wow. Um, at that time, there were, you know, maybe John Thompson, um, Leonard Hamilton, I think, um, Rudy Washington. There weren't, there was a handful of, of black coaches. Right. They start, and they had to start a black coaches association yeah. so that other coaches, black assistants, would even get interviewed. Mm-hmm. So knowing coming in that, this was really not so much about, you know, me shattering records and, you know, how fast can I get to the NBA? It, it really wasn't even about that. It was like I was, you know, bringing something and carrying something that was way bigger than me. You know, he grew up 15 minutes from the campus. Mm-hmm. And so we had family. I might have more family at the games in Knoxville than I had in Louisville, than I would have had in Louisville, you know, just just because that's where my we grew up and my dad grew up, so we would come in the summers. So it was a real homecoming right. on top of the historic, you know, magnitude of, of it. I mean, what it was like was... Because uh, sometimes we see today, like, it, it can be unhealthy. Pat, it can be healthy a lot. It's not easy. And I'm not even sure it would have worked if I had done it sooner. You know what I mean? Like in high school or something? Yeah, I think I think at the time it worked because, you know, he the moment of him being, you know, a pioneer coach and being somewhere outside of, of Louisville and us moving, coming together, um, you know, me coming in as a freshman, not really knowing a lot of the other guys, it forced me to, to I would I was always like this. I wanted to prove my work, prove your worth, right? Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to come in and assume anything, you know. So my biggest thing was be humble and hardworking. That was what I got. Be humble, work hard. You know, you're never, you're never bigger than anything, any moment. But you're also going to be the hardest worker. So that was my mentality no matter what. So I think what that does is no matter where you are, you kind of gain some respect in doing that just alone. And I needed, for me, I wanted to have the respect my teammates because I didn't want, I wanted to be, That's this is what it is. Sports is like a meritocracy, right? Yes. You 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 earn your minutes, you earn your spot, or somebody's going to bust you and take, take your spot. Yes. You know, so to me it was like, I needed it to be that way. I want to talk about your brand, social impact brand, Fischl. Yeah. F-I-S-L-L. <laughs> um, you got a lot of things going on. The first thing I saw when I went to the website, you have some clothing. Yeah. And with the clothing, you are allowed to use NBA team logos. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, I said, oh, Allen Houston is doing business business. <laughs> because that's not easy, yeah. you know, to get that team licensing. How did, how did that yeah. come about? Well, Fizzles, first of all, Fizzles started on the heels of the relationship with my father, right? We, I got, when I got to the NBA, 
I just appreciate appreciate it even more. I guess just talking to your teammates and seeing now that you're you're a grown man, you you're seeing people with their kids. Your teammates are with their kids, and right. you you see this role of a father in a whole different way. And I just hit me, man. Like, man, I, I it really hit me how much I appreciated how he prepared me for this, and the principles and the lessons that an example he was as a mm-hmm. as a godly man, you know. So we just started doing these these retreats and workshops and and just engagements around fatherhood and building young men and teaches showing them like these are principles and the example and 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 the fathers got to see how impactful their role is just through basketball right so i wrote the five words down because i wanted the takeaway to be not just the experience and saying man i got to see alan and his dad and but what's some things i can remember and they could take away me that i can apply to my life every day right and that's where the faith, integrity, sacrifice, leadership, legacy came. So Fizzle was born way before it had NBA marks on it. Fizzle <laughs> was 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 a mindset and a movement way before you could see it on a on a piece of apparel. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to go do do a licensing deal with the NBA, you know, um, and got the license, and we were able to create like a pathway. Where you know, when you see apparel and so many people are doing fashion apparel yes. and, and merchandise, and I didn't see the explosion of all this then. This was 2017. Um, I just wanted a way to express these words, man. That's really what it came down to. And at the time, the, the, the open lane was you can get an NBA license and you can take some nice uh, – fabric and apparel and merchandise and create a fashion version of team apparel. So now we're in 50 colleges. We got our HBCUs. We have the WNBA. Mm-hmm. We have college. I mean, now we have NBA. Um, but the biggest thing for me is, you know, what we wear really is an outer expression of what we feel about ourselves on the inside. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I want the brand to be like. That's why we call, we, we say win from within. Mm-hmm. Right, you. Everybody wants to win in life, and I found that what we all are really looking for is that meaning and that purpose. And like, what am I really here for? And how well can I do it? And can I accomplish it? Well, you need a strategy. You need tools. You know, you need a playbook. Yeah. You, you need preparation, and you need a coach. Mm-hmm. So it it is a really a life coaching and leadership development platform that promotes these values. Um, and experience. So you need something tangible. When you talk about a brand that's trying to make an impact, right. you need something tangible that people can experience or wear or, you know, or, or attach themselves to. And uh, so I, I'm like, well, okay, apparel's one, but we're also creating, you know, same thing, we're creating com- content, conversations yeah. like we're doing here with, with young leaders um, and, and really giving them what they need on the inside for success. The clothing was just a way to get your message out. That's why I, I like you describe it as a social impact brand. Yeah. You know, and these five words are very important to you. Faith, integrity, sacrifice, leadership, leadership, and legacy. And legacy. You have a book that is associated with it, uh, The Fundamentals of Life. I was yeah. fortunate to have an advanced copy. And what I enjoyed most is, again, you talk about the tools within yeah. That's going to lead to the success. Yeah. But it first starts with uh, your qualities and values yeah. within. And that started with your dad. You, you said something I think is important is that these the quality, your inner qualities are what lead to success. Mm-hmm. And I think what we try to do is, is start off in our programming. It really is helping people go through this process, mm-hmm. right? It's like, how do you make these values and characteristics aspirational and tangible, right? How, how can I make faith like something I really want? How can I make integrity something I really want? It's not sexy. It's not, you know, it's not the first thing that comes to your mind is like, I want to do the right thing, right. you know? It's you know, I want to give myself <laughs> up, right? I want to be, that's not the first thing that I think we come out thinking, but it's an evolution of ourself, but... 
we have to have some type of pers higher perspective. So I kind of look at our programming and the, and the leaders who uh, facilitate the programming as like, they're like, you, know, uh, you ever been to the Empire State Building, right? Yeah. And that guy who takes you up the elevator standing there and he's, and, he's, and he's taking you up and he's just, you know, watching the process. And before you know it, you're like, dang, look how high I am. Yeah. And you can see so much from that point of view. And it's almost like we just want to take people to a higher level of thinking mm -hmm. and a higher level of being so that they can operate in whatever realm they are, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, the program looks a lot like, you know, in, engaging a young person with a trust, trusted, credible adult. So if you think about young people, right, especially yes, now, who do they trust? <laughs> like, w through the pandemic, think about how many parents and coaches and leaders we we're going through it. Yeah. So how can we go through it and be able to equip our young people if we're still trying to figure out the trauma? And and so even before that, mm -hmm. we still need development, right? Coaches need coaches. They do. Mr. Right. Yeah. So we have to be, look at ourselves as adults and be accountable so we can be the best for our young people. So it really is kind of going back to that relationship. It's a relationship building process where you can give a young person or a leader, hey, these are the tools you're going to need, first of all, to define success before you achieve success. Because my, my success may not be yours, yours may not be mine. Right. I got to, this is what's, what's out for me. I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not, you know. I mean, I wanted to compete against MJ, but I wasn't MJ. I wasn't anybody but me. And what I'm trying to do is win as it has been defined and chosen for me. Right. And how do you do that? Well, you believe in yourself, right? You have a positive expectation. You know, you go about it the right way because there's, there's value in doing things the right way. If there's a way to do it, then that's what my grandfather would always say. Yeah. You know, when you come to sacrifice, you can't get anything worth in life without giving. You just can't, you know, and that's without paying that's, the price. Yeah, can't pay. You gotta pay the price, man. <laughs> you know, you gotta die to yourself to yeah. gain. You know, yeah. and and the leadership and the legacy are, are are complementary because a lot of people, I think, they want the the glamour of leadership, but they don't understand the servanthood and and the the investment um, in other people to lead, right? And then. Legacy is more than just the, the you know rings. Yeah, you know what I mean. Legacy is not just a physical thing. It's hey, it's it, it's just I tell people like when I'm talking to them, I can tell when a young person really is taking it just by the way they look listening. Yeah, forget about any conversation we had. I can say by the way you're listening and looking to me, I can tell if it's going in. Yeah, that's to me that's legacy. Just just like it doesn't have to be this grandiose conversation or achievement it could just be one little thing right that that impacts you know the rest of somebody's life mm -hmm. and so uh, that's the mission man it's, it's really spreading that message you know and it's um, something that's very important to you I, i've i've seen it watching yeah. from afar you know this is uh as you said these are the values that have been instilled from uh your father one right. key piece i thought very important for defining success yeah, a lot man. of people, especially today with the social media, they looking at somebody else's life and they think yeah. they got no shot or they're, they're not going to make it. You said, hey, I wasn't MJ, but I, I, I'd handle my business. Yeah, you know I, what I'm saying? I, was try I wanted to be me. Think about, like, people talk a lot about, like, that's the, the, the Miami shot. I get reminded of that shot, right? Well, there are four people, three people that didn't touch the ball, yeah. right? And four people didn't get the shot. Right, but they all had a role, and and then maybe in the play before that, my job was to set a screen and just get out of the way. Right. <laughs> right, in basketball, when I make a pass, the worst thing I can do is stand in the same place that I just stood. Mm. When I make a pass, my job now is to get out of the way so that person who I made the pass to has an option. Mm -hmm. For that play, that was success for me. I did my job. Right, I think Mike Tomlin has something in the locker room. Do your job. Yeah, that's success. But we want to look at success in so many different ways, 
I got to have this. Yeah. I got to achieve this. Well, why don't you just be this first, right? And then you can do this. And then the rest, you know, the rest comes from that. That's pretty cool. One of the biggest shots of your career, you can acknowledge the role your, your teammates play. Somebody had to set that the position. pick. That's phenomenal. Like, some people, That's somebody, a somebody had to set the pick <laughs> and execute. We didn't have a timeout. And I love talking about it because not about the shot, what happened after the shot. I like to talk about the process, mm. you know, that went into the shot because everybody has a role. How long has these values been a part? Are you been aware of the question? These are the values that have drove me to this point. When that, did you first come aware? Man, that's a great question. And I, I don't know if I have a, 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 a time, but... Um, the good thing about Fizzle is it does bring you to a level of consciousness and awareness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I've always, my family's always been a family of faith, you know, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, it's kind of part of the culture. Yeah. But at some point you gotta, you gotta define what you believe for yourself, mm -hmm. who you believe in and, and why. And um, I think from a faith perspective, I think it probably happened when I was around 14 or 15. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we would just, be in church and you know as a teenager you're like all right we're in the church and you know here we go and but I felt something different man I felt like it's almost like you know when you're on the bench and you just like man I'm not playing and then the coach looks down and you meet eyes and it's like oh okay I'm about to go in yeah and that's what it felt like when I was 14 I felt like Lord was like hey man it's time to go mm -hmm. like you have these talents and you know, you're growing fast and you got these little girls, you know, look, it's time to go. It's time to do something for me now, right? It's right. not this, man. So I answered the call and it was, it was by faith that, you know, I just said, look, whatever you want, I'm ready, you know, and you take your bumps and bruises and, you know, you make your mistakes and you learn from them. But I think faith came there and I think, um, I think integrity, I would say, I don't know, maybe in my, in, in college probably when, you know, you're playing for your dad and you become, you know, aware of, hey, man, you're, this is, you're the coach's son. You can't be going out wilding out on campus all the, the time. Boss. You got to be really yeah. careful. Yeah. I'm 20 years old, 19 years old, so I ain't going to, you know, I'm still going to be a teenager, you know what I mean? Right. But I, I just was like, kind of like always kind of like, you know, conscious. Yeah. I think sacrifice probably came more when when I was uh probably more aware of it probably in marriage. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sacrifice is you know that that that's a relationship that is like no other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, in marriage you just like it makes no rhyme or reason but I'm giving myself you know to this person beyond my comfort zone but beyond my desires it's just because I, I i it's what i'm to do i'm to sacrifice i'm to give and um that's a t that's a a team also like is, being man. on the knicks like being an nba you and your spouse yeah is a team sacrifice yeah. is very important yeah. it's and you can't win without it you can't <laughs> yeah. i mean think about if you're a great team if you're a good team first of all a great team if you're a good team you're going to have good players to play with you yeah Right. How are you going to be a really good team with with a bunch of bad players? Mm -hmm. So if you're on a good team, you're going to have other good players that you're playing with. Right. That means those other good players are going to have to eat, too. Mm -hmm. Everybody's got to win. Everybody's got to eat. So how can I eat and 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 give myself so that person can eat mm -hmm. because we want to win together? Or you may you just want, you might just want to win on your own terms, which really don't mean you want to win. Right. <laughs> you know, what I mean, and I, I see that. You know, people are like, I want to win, but like, man, you know, you won, but then you're looking at the stats, you're like, yeah, man. They ain't willing to pay the price. Yeah, like, no, it's not about that, man. There's a, there's one letter that Damn. matters after the games, right? Because mm -hmm. what I learned in being the general manager of the G League team, right, is that even in the G League, when your team is winning, everybody looks good. Right, you may be like, man, he's getting called up. That person's getting looks. But guess what? When you win, there's a certain environment 
that you contributed to. Yeah. And people see that. People notice that. You know, and I think so. You're right. Like, sacrifice and winning go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And um, you have an app for Fizzle. Yeah. Yeah. How did that come about? That's not well, easy. Well, that's that's been probably the thing that has taken the the longest to develop because technology changes and you're mm-hmm. trying to find your sp- my goal was to was to have a place where these conversations and context around just winning mm-hmm. in life can happen and it can be a safe place and people can get it get it and resource it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh probably by the fourth of July we'll come out with our next version mm-hmm. and you know really looking forward to getting kind of like this content and this these creative flows, right, of, of life through the lens of some of our young people um, and leaders and thought leaders. We have, we have um, healthcare providers and hospitals that are really looking at how we can collaborate with youth, mental health, and faith, kind of how they all combine. Um, because, again, you know, I have seven children, and we are always constantly talking about these conversations sure. and how they apply, like getting into college and, you know, pl- being a good teammate, being a good friend. What happens when this friend tells you something and you're not supposed to tell anybody else? And, you know, your teacher, it, there's so many of these dynamics, man, that happen in life. And it, it's like because of the world and social media and and all the things that are thrown at us and our young people, we have to have a filter somewhere. Yeah. Like we have to have a, a healthy way to like, what's good and what's not for me. Right. And uh, and and part of it is just talking to people. You know what I mean? And and sharing. And you know, a lot of people are going through trauma, right? And people, you know, are lost. And so, how you get built up and and and, and sturdied is through community. So that's that's one of the things is just having a community of people who really about these values man, and want to want to level up in life, um, and 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 give them the tools. How old is your oldest child? Twenty four. And the youngest? Eleven. So that's a nice wide spectrum. Yeah, no twins, five girls. So you're dealing with all different aspects of kind of like youth life. Yeah. You got people going into college. You got prom, you got graduation, you got <laughs> all of it. So you seeing Teams. all of it. Yeah, I mean. So it makes sense why you want to equip, like a coach wants to equip his players with the tools right. to go. Just like a parent, I want to give them a a, a a set of tools that they can rely on when they go out in the world. Yeah. When mom and dad is not there, or coach is not That's there. Right. I mean, think about a coach you you've played for, a coach that we played for, right? You remember something they said or a philosophy? Yeah terminology mm-hmm. that that stuck yeah you know what I mean like one thing I like what, what Tib says a lot is you know you know trust your work mm-hmm. trust your work how many how many of us try to prepare for a presentation a speech a game a test mm-hmm. and we get all like stressed out and and it's like but have you put the work in That's it. okay if you put the work in then you're prepared and some people may feel like, man, I'm, I'm prepared. Some people are like, nah, I, I want to put more in. Some over-prepared, fine. You cannot go into that situation feeling like I didn't do whatever I could do. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that's that. as a parent, as a coach, as an executive yeah. CEO, <laughs> I feel like your legacy is what did you equip people with so they could go on and be better, right, when they leave your situation. Think about the coaching tree. You look at John Wood, and he goes, you know, Denny Crum. Denny Crum came on, and you know, Pat Riley, and then you got Jeff Van Gundy. You got all these Mike Malone. Like, what did what did he equip people with yeah. that they could take it and and move forward with it? A few things from the career. Um, yeah. The shot you mentioned. The shot. I watched it a hundred times last <laughs> night in preparation for the uh, um, interview. What's that like, man? It's you're the eighth seed. You're knocking off the number one seed with this shot. Um, the the arena goes silent. I just remember you running out of the way, fist clenched, che- cheeks puffed, <laughs> throw that 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 fist in the air. What was that like? Man, it was so much. 
you know, emotion. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, it was accumulation of all the years, the work. I think most of all, it was it was that it was Miami. It was that battles we had. You know, you think about the '97 when we should have should have we were up three one. Yeah. You know, and you think about the following year. Uh, you know, when we when we beat them, and it's just the intensity of the moment, man, you know, and it's New York. And then fans, there were New York fans in Miami's arena. Always. Always. <laughs> and um, it's just, uh, and then we were, we were like mirror images of each other. Yeah. You know, we, we, re, we were like brothers playing against brothers. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, every possession was like the last one. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt like every possession felt like the last possession. You know, that's how the games were played, and um, and you know, it was the we we, we were the AC. It was so much that was going against you, yeah. you know. But then, uh, you know, and I I felt like at the end of the regular season we had a shot um, that I think I had a putback that didn't count mm-hmm. because we didn't have an instant replay then. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, man, that. I don't really believe in karma. I don't like believe that word, but it's like I think that was like kind of payback. Yeah, you know. You never played for Raleigh. Never. Ewing and them had a disdain for the Heat, for like feeling spurned by Raleigh. And you, you weren't under that tutelage. So how do you like inherit that kind of bad blood or uh, animosity towards the Heat? I don't even know if it was animosity towards the Heat. It was just competitive spirit. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, you know. Uh, because we were so similar, yeah, I think you know you. It's almost like you look in yourself in the mirror, like how can I beat myself? Yeah. And I think that's what it felt like sometimes. We just had different, you know, makeup. And man, listen, playing playing in the playoffs in New York. I mean, the first playoff series, you know, was I think my first playoff series was was um, I'm in Charlotte, mm-hmm. and. Um, Man, I just remember it, man. It was just like you couldn't even really imagine the feeling of coming saying, now we're in the playoffs yeah. in New York, right? And that's where it's what you live for. Yeah. And uh, so it was like it was Miami, but it's really just now that this moment is here that you've been mm-hmm. waiting for. As you guys moved along, uh, unfortunately, Patrick, you on with Terry's Achilles. Yeah. You know, you had these big moments, and then here the big man goes down. What was that like in the locker room? It was tough to see someone who put so much into it. Um, because, man, there were times when Patrick would, we would be like, man, it's a big fella, man. You don't need to practice here, <laughs> man. Just, but he, he didn't want to miss practice. He didn't want to miss workouts. And that, that damn, man, it just set such a, a tone for all of us. So when you see, you see him go down, you're like, Listen, we gotta pick him up. We gotta pick him up. You and know, he built. He built. You know, we felt like he built this building. Yeah. You know what I mean? In my, in our eyes, and we hadn't, you know, experienced the history of Willis and Clyde and mm-hmm. and and Earl. But in in our eyes, like big fella, like put his work in. So, you know, it was it was that, and then it was also like, look, man, like this is what you're here for. Mm-hmm. This is your time now. You have to do step up next man up and there's part of you as a competitor that's like all right now this is an opportunity and um so we 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 took both of those kind of mindsets and just put them together that's a phenomenal part of the story the the captain your general goes down and you guys were able to pick yourself up off the mat against the bitter rivals the paces like that when i when i went back and looked at everything that took place in 99 i'm like yo this can't be forgotten and for y'all to proceed and keep going forward, beat the Pacers, go into the finals, well, you know, that that's was, some character, Mr. Houston. It was character, and there was a lot of competitiveness in our own self that people, a lot of people were like, man, now you can play a different way that you hadn't been able mm-hmm. to play. And so we were like, all right, we got to make this work. Yeah. Because if people were saying, y'all need to play faster, well, guess what? Now you have to. You know, and it's just one of those things where now you 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 
you you didn't ask for it, but you know what? You always wondered, okay, if we could play a certain way, would it work? Well, now we got to make it work. Now you got to make it work at the most important time of the year. You know, um, LJ had to step up and play undersized for small four. He was battling injuries. I just look back at that team with a a level of fondness, you know, from my perspective as a fan. Like, these guys put it together. And, and, you know, we looked around – when you look around the locker room and your team, and you're like, he could play. Yeah. Kirk Thomas led led the nation (laughs) in in scoring and rebounding. Yeah. Marcus Cameron's number one pick. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we got players that could play. It wasn't like, you know, we were like, oh, man. Like Patrick was big fella, but we looked around like now nah, we we can play, and we believed in that. As a fan, that's fond memories. Eighth seed, overcome um, adversity to make it all the way to the finals. We look back with great fondness. You as a player, though, somebody that was in the trenches fighting for that championship. When you look back on that that year, uh, what are your feelings now? The, the ninety nine year. Yes, sir. Um, Obviously, disappointment that you didn't, you weren't able. Like you never want, you don't want to see anybody celebrate on your floor. You don't. You do. You do. I always say this too: when 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 sports seasons end, right? There's one team that's happy. Yeah. There's only one team that's happy at the end of the season, right? So all the work that everybody puts in, you can you can feel good about, you know, or bad about, but that one team is the one team. So that, but man, just just the journey. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like to say that you got to play in the finals in Madison Square Garden, you know, for the Knicks in that era, and um, you know, make that run was it was memorable, man. Like you don't get that far, you know, without. Some really, really hard. I mean, look, look at the just take the Heat this year. Yeah. Right? How many people are like, man, man, they tough, you know, and blah, 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 and you know, they got past us, and then they went on and you know got past Boston. It's like, whoa, man, like so. Just that journey of knowing what you can accomplish. Yeah. Um, it 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 shows you something. Nineteen ninety two Dream Team. Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Carl Malone, Charles Barkley, and a host of others. Uh, many believe the greatest collection of basketball talent. Right? I'm not going to argue with that. There's a, a story out there that in, in uh, the preseason, they played against a bunch of college kids, and they lost. Now, I know Bob Hurley. Uh, no, Danny Hurley. Bobby. Bob Hurley was on that team. Yeah. Uh, Grant Hill was on that team. Chris Webber, Penny Hardaway. Was Allen Houston on that team? Yes, <laughs> yes, sir. Wow, yeah. I, I just learned that recently. Yeah, yeah. Take so. us. What happened in that that scrimmage? <laughs> well, uh, first time they had brought you know some young bucks <laughs> in, and '92. The idea was that we need. There's going to be a different way we're going to need to learn how to play. They were going to have to play against some European guys mm-hmm. and just a different flow. And they figured to bring some young players that we don't really know much of. We haven't played against them a lot. I mean, we, a lot of us have played against them. And, like, I played against, you know, Michael in, in college and in his camp, and, you know, different things like that, but never in a situation like mm-hmm. this, you know. So, um, truly unforgettable, man. I mean, we we walk we, – we had kind of been together for three days. Where was this? In La Jolla, California, okay. right outside of San Diego, yeah. So, we, we we're in there, and finally it was almost like – you're going to see the wizard, right? We're sitting here going on this journey, and in the third day, we finally get to actually go see them. <laughs> so we walk in the gym, and it's just it's just crazy, man. You see these guys together, let alone battling against each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about Dave, David and Patrick and Charles and Bird and Clyde and and Michael and 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 Magic and it's like Stockton. They all just like just going at each other, man. And and um, and Carl Malone and Pip, and every play is like a highlight, but not like a highlight where it's an All Star game where people are letting them do whatever. Like no, they're going at it, yeah. right? 
And we're like, all right, well, so we're here to come to Duke. <laughs> what so, year were you in? You were a junior? I was a junior. Okay. Yeah, so <laughs> threw us in there, man. And, and, the, and the, the idea was that, you know, you guys are going to have – you're not going to run out of plays, right? Yeah. You're going to zone them, and you're not going to run a lot of plays. We just want you to just play free, drive, kick. Don't overthink it. You're right. Just play off your instincts. And and that's what we did. And and it was like, I think because we weren't out there thinking, we were just balling, right? And um, they didn't know what we were doing either. They were just like, man, these young kids. But we were we got some pretty good players on that team. And um, we just caught a stretch, man, where you know how it is when you catch a rhythm. And we started popping off some threes. And, um, and we were zoning them. So they were just, you know, who knows, like, what was going on in their head, but, you Who know, you matched up against? Well, we were playing zone most okay. of the time, so it's kind of like, but I know Pip was guarding me some. I figured that um, was what they put on you. Yeah. Um, Drexler? Uh, it was mostly, it was mostly Pip, and, and, and um, I think they had them playing a little bit of zone, too, so okay. it's like, it's just trying to feel it out. It's like an experimental process, right? But, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they stopped the clock and, and, and everybody kind of got silent and, and we were, we were up and, I'm, and, and it was like one of the things, well, wait a minute, are we, are we going to keep playing? We going to keep playing or, you know, what's going, what's happening, right? Play a few more minutes and then, you know, Chuck Daly just shut it down. We'll come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I don't remember the score, but all I know is, you know, there was, there was some trash talking, you know, back at the hotel and so much that when we came back the next day it was it was a different ball game yeah. it was a little different next the next day <laughs> but we enjoyed that for a moment man it was it was um the thing i remember most about that to be honest was not even that it was like going to the guys room you know watching them play cards watch yeah. how to interact just seeing the stuff they had you know everybody had their own special usa version of their shoes and yeah. They gave us some shoes. I still got some Ewings back in my home, back oh. in my house in oh. Louisville, and um, like it was really that playing golf with them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And you know, almost falling off the golf cart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, just seeing the the the, the life. You know yeah. that. And I remember Chris Webb and we would look at each other and we watch them playing cards. Like, yo, man, this is crazy. And 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 I was I remember him saying, man, this 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 gonna be us one day, yeah. right? And I I never forget that, you know, that just being able to, like, touch the feel it and touch yeah. it, you know. Did that lead you to kind of turn things up in your own game? What impact did that have on you with the basketball player? Um, I think it definitely gave you yeah. some confidence. It gave you like, okay, when you when you play like that against them and you have that experience, mm. you. To me, you have to guard being a little too too overconfident, right? right? So to me, it was like, man, I'm just gonna keep putting in this work. And uh, after my junior year, I had already thought about, you know, uh, should I should I leave? Yeah. And um, I came back, you know, wanted to come back play my senior year because my father was my coach, yeah. and you know, uh, the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Thursday night is draft night. A lot of young men's lives are about to change. What was your draft night experience like? Um, I kind of had an idea where I was going to go, which, which, you know, where I was going to land. Um, I think at the time it was anywhere from 8 to 12 or 13. Okay. Um, but it was exciting because it was in Detroit. Oh, I- and... Uh, Detroit had the tenth and the eleventh pick, so they get to they get to nine. Uh, think eight nine was uh, I think Rodney Rogers. I think eight was Ben Baker. Um, and they get to ten, and they had ten and eleven. So I'm like, okay, they got two picks. So I'm thinking they might. I'm I'm wondering what's going to happen here. Yeah. So they pick Lindsey Hunter number ten. Okay. I'm like, hmm. Pick Lindsey, okay. Then they picked me number 11. And, um, you know, I just remember giving my grandfather a big hug, you know, and then my dad and my grandparents. And and this next thing was, like, I'm in the palace in Detroit, 
you know, yeah. like you always think like they go, how, how they're going to react. Sure. It was a good reaction. And it was just, um, yeah, man, I was, I was happy, man. It was, it was just being able to be drafted right there too. Cause usually the draft is now in this one place every yeah. year, but yeah, it was, it was great being in Detroit. Um, you know, met my wife, you know, um, you know, soon after and, uh, it's been a blessing, man. You know, Detroit has always been, you know, a place that I give a lot of credit to helping me, you know, almost raise me in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. When you were courted by the Knicks, you remember mm. that that period? Yeah. Some of the things they put together? Yeah. What was that like? Because uh, yeah. I was reading something, and you mentioned it here, that it was a foregone conclusion that you were going to play for your dad at yeah. the college level. Yeah. So this was kind of like your first real recruitment. Yeah. yeah. And the Knicks pulled out all the stops. What was that yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, that was true. A lot of people don't know that, that the assistant general manager uh, at the time was a guy named Ed Tapscott. Mm -hmm. He was a, he was assistant GM, and he was a good friend of my dad's and knew a lot of the coaches and been on a recruiting circuit in college You know, when my dad was there. And, um you know, he he knew that that I hadn't been recruited a lot, so you know he pulled it out. They had um, they had a video they put together of a lot of the stars and the, sit on the front row and say, "Alan, you know, we we you need to be here. You need to be in New York." They had this mock up of someone Times Square of me in some shorts, you know, mm -hmm. all my shirt off, and you know all this stuff. And it and was, this is like before Photoshop was a big deal. Yeah, like they put man, some work into they it. They put work into it, man, and they. And they, I mean, they they said they they put they um, at the time it was you know Dave Checkets and Ernie Grunfeld they picked me up in this limo and we we drove around these homes up in Greenwich, Connecticut, man. Wow. And I'm like, what is this place, man? You know what I mean? Like I'm from Louisville, go to Detroit, and then you go up to you know see these mansions and not, not even mansions, they were estates. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was like, um, just you know. On top of that, I, I guess the part of it that really got me was obviously the money was good, mm -hmm. but you know you you just have a genuine feeling that they value you mm -hmm. to help them go to the next level, mm -hmm. right? That to me was what I felt, you know. And maybe because I hadn't been through that process a lot, like you talk to people enough, you feel like okay, they. This is the situation they're in. They're already here, and they feel like you're kind of like a piece to getting them to that next level. I think that meant a lot to me, as like, okay, Al, like now you're back. Now they almost like they're putting it back on you. Yeah. Like, do you believe th that you can help us get to this chip? Yeah. You know, and I think that that part of the challenge was as big as anything. I saw. I read someone also that you, when you got on the plane, they had. A version of your jersey hanging over every seat, like an Allen Houston Knicks well, they, jersey. <laughs> what they what they did, they had a jersey made up because Chris Childs was uh, we we rode on the plane together, okay. and they had our jerseys made up. <laughs> I was like, dang, this is crazy. Like I, I trying to envision like a real, you know, back then, like it was just you just didn't see that a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And framed and everything, and and then you walk into the locker room and they had a big trophy like right like right there you know and um you know as a matter of fact uh i want honeymoon so we had just got married in august so this is uh, this is you know after I just got married in august and on a honeymoon they sent this gift right and my wife was like oh that is really nice really thoughtful them. they sent this gift the gift was like a 20 by 30 poster of the championship trophy. Wow. <laughs> like, so, so it was like a nice gift, but it was just like, wow. Like this was, my wife was like, okay, they, they serious about yeah. this, you know? Um, but like little things like that, you know, back then I think meant, it just meant a lot, you know? It meant a lot to say, this is what you're a part of. This is what, this is what we believe we can do with you. When I read that, I'm like, wow, man, that's top notch. Yeah. That's top yeah. notch. And yeah. now you're part of that process when it comes to bringing in 
new folks to the organization. So you know what it takes to put some cool things together for these guys. But now it's everybody's kind of blowing the budget really. Yeah, I mean now now I think people people know kind of what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. now I think because of social media, because of the the relationship they have with each other, um they have a little bit better idea. Yeah. And, and and I would say a lot of it is it's more about the basketball, to be honest, I believe. Like, what situation is, is really going to be best for me? Money is always going to be, right. you know. But, like, you know, you're looking at the coach, the culture. You're looking at players who you're going to, you know, be around. Yeah. Like, um, there's no place like playing in New York. Yeah. There's, there's no place like it. And you just want to be in a situation where New York can uh, can really not just boost you up, but you know the winning part is really what what can be offered. Mm-hmm. Mr. Allen Houston, I know you got to go. I appreciate you uh, being here, not only on my show but in studio. Yes, sir. This is phenomenal. Please let us know one last mm-hmm. time how we can support your brand, your movement. Fizzle. I have a few good young men. We'll be wherever you need us to be. Let, let us know. How, how can we, well, the people, support you? All right, man. First of all, I appreciate you. You know, um, just just what you're doing, man, your energy, your, your investment, commitment to yourself, man. You know, it's you could tell it's real. Um, and I feel like I'm in the same situation, man. Like, you know, I, I, I've, I've been very fortunate, but building, you know, your brand, building yourself up, man, that's a that's – a, it's a deep and long-suffering endeavor, man, yes, you know? And so um, that's why I wanted to come, man, and be here and support because I know what it is. And I think it's – man, just spread the message, man. Fizzle, you know, um, we we have a campaign that we're about to launch going into Summer League called Win From Within. Okay. And it's a, just hashtag Fizzle, hashtag Win From Within. Um, and we're going to be pushing out more. We're going to get more ambassadors to get involved, mm-hmm. you know, get people to, like – really be involved with the process of of talking about this conversation, what these five words really can do in your life, you know, and testify to it. Um, but, yeah, hashtag fizzle, half win from within, and we're going to have uh, some campaigns, some things we're going to do this summer that are pretty exciting. All right, brother. We are behind you. Yeah. We appreciate you uh, a great deal. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Alan Houston. William Holly, WBH Radio, out.